0: Hey, welcome to Table Flippers Podcast, Ministry of Greater Worship Christians Church in Lancaster, California. I am your host, Apostle Robert Ennis. This is where we talk about the issue the church faces and how the church should respond to those issues. Here we will talk about doctrine, theology, politics, social and cultural issues, and how the church is to deal with these things. So get ready for a large dose of truth and get ready for the tables to be flipped. Here at Table Flippers... Table flipping is what we do. Welcome back. Hello. good to be here with all of you on this wonderful podcast today. I'm going to be dealing with chapter five from my book, Time for Transition. If you want to look that up and purchase it, please do. I think you'll get a lot out of this book. Um, I'm rereading my book, even though it came from me, I wrote it, I'm rereading it for these podcasts. And I'm realizing just how prophetic some of the statements in there were. So I can honestly say, not because I wrote it, just because of what I'm reading here, that this truly was a Holy Spirit-derived or Holy Spirit-inspired book. So I hope that you get that, read it, and enjoy it. Today I'm going to start with... The end of chapter 4, as I was going through my notes, I was just looking at this, some things caught my attention, so I want to wrap up chapter 4 and get right into chapter 5. I want to read just a few pages out of chapter 5, and then we'll discuss it and talk about it as we have been. But from chapter 4, the very end of chapter 4, is a statement that says, We all will be better off when we no longer want leaders like everyone else has but we want the leader that God wants us to have. First Timothy 3.10 says, But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. The word tested means to see whether a thing is genuine or not. And I think each and every one of us would want genuine leaders, the type of person that's, at least in the church world, That's the same in the pulpit on Sunday as he is hanging out on Monday or if you bump into him in the streets on Tuesday. You want that person to be genuine and the same person. Another quote, When we are more concerned about a leader that merely dresses nice and looks good in his position and with leaders that care more about our immediate feelings than with our eternal home, we have actually done ourselves a disservice by coming under the leadership of of a modern day Saul. And the last quote from chapter 4. It is sad, but Saul failed to recognize what God was doing, causing him to not become the king that he otherwise could have been. And unfortunately, that's some of the problems that we see in the church world today. Now, before I get into chapter 5, I want to give a little bit of a disclaimer or an explanation. I don't really have a problem especially if you've been listening to these podcasts you know this i don't have a problem with pointing out problems and hammering it pretty good i was accused several times from several people of hating different pastors and hating the church and hating different leaders to which all of that is just not true as a matter of fact I could sit here and name names of not only local people that I think are not doing things correctly, but also people that uh, are on a national, even international uh, scene. I've been blessed in my ministry to be able to travel in many parts of the world and meet many great leaders. When I say great, people that are doing some spectacular things for the kingdom of God. I've also Um, had the pleasure of meeting some not-so-great leaders in the church, and I'm talking mostly in the church world. I've met with mayors. I've met with governors. I've met with um, uh, chiefs in different tribes in different uh, areas of the world. I've met with high-ranking political officials in some places, people that worked with presidents and vice presidents and prime ministers and things of that. God has truly blessed me. So when I'm saying these things, it's not because it's I, I know these things firsthand. I just know these things firsthand in many cases. So I'm talking about people that I've met. I'm talking about people that have put things out there that you can read, that you can watch in video, that you can watch on the television, listen to the radio, whatever you, ha- you have. Uh, I've shaken hands with many of these people. Some of them I'm truly extraordinarily impressed with because they're doing some great, great things. Other people I'm not so impressed with. And when I say this, I'm not talking about I think one person is perfect and the next person is not perfect. I'm talking mostly about people having a grasp on who they are, who God is number one, but who they are in Christ. And what I mean by that is I've met some people who recognize their weaknesses. I mean, they didn't wear it on their shoulder, of course. They didn't go talking about it every moment they got to open their mouth, but recognized who they were and their weaknesses and their failures. But they were actively working on becoming strong in those areas, repenting of it if it needs to be repented of, and just working on those weaknesses so they'll no longer be weaknesses. I appreciate that because I'm not personally looking for perfection per se. You know that that image of what is or isn't perfection. One day we'll talk about perfection because we are told to be perfect, and I want you to know there's many more there's more people uh, in, that are perfect than we sometimes think, because we measure perfection by some image that we have instead of by the calling that we're supposed to be in. So anyway, that's a whole another story for another time. But some people I've met that I was truly impressed with because. They were, in my opinion, truly humble, not walking around whining and complaining, kind of humble, like some people want, you know, you're only humble if you're whining and complaining. No, they were confident in who they were, confident in their their abilities, confident in what they uh, they understood and what they knew. So in that sense, they were very confident. What made them humble was they also understood their weaknesses, but they were working on them. And they understood the area of their confidence the, the things that they were strong in was because of their relationship with God, so God gets all the glory for it. And God gets all the honor even in their weaknesses because they go to God primarily to help them with their weaknesses, to overcome their weaknesses and become strong in those areas. So that's, in my opinion, a humble person. Where you have people that I was not impressed with, those are the arrogant, pompous people that couldn't see any of their failures or faults. They couldn't see them they just thought that they were perfect god's gift to the world and they acted like it they strutted around as a matter of fact i've known some people in in ministry that if you basically didn't bow down to them and maybe not quite that bad but pretty close you you just didn't have any place with them i remember um at certain times i was in a kind of a vip type of status but I wasn't the host of, the, of this event. But I was still one of the, um, if you will, VIP. And I admired one of these speakers. And I really wanted to get to know him. So I just wanted to shake his hand, introduce myself, say hello, and tell him how much I appreciate him. That was about it. So as I saw him in, the, you know, they call it the green room, I made uh, my way towards him. I was cut off by the uh, CIA bodyguards. Yeah, I'm kidding. They weren't CIA, but you you get the point. They were wearing the the dark sunglasses, the black suit. They even had the earpiece in their ears, and they looked like Secret Service or something of that nature. And I couldn't get to this gentleman just to shake his hand. And I asked the person who was telling me, "No, you can't do that. You know, no, we, you can't get to him. No, no." And I was literally told that person is too important. And and when I, I backed up, I says. Listen, I'm here in the VIP lounge with, with, with him as well and with you. I can't even shake his hand. And I wasn't really sure if this was coming from that gentleman or from the hosts. But either way, that kind of nonsense has got to stop in the body of Christ. That kind of foolishness has got to stop in the body of Christ. It's ridiculous and it's embarrassing. We, am, we are, you know, I, Jesus walked around and everybody touched him, everybody was around him. He didn't have one bodyguard around him. And then we got some knucklehead today. And just because he, sh- he shows up on some Christian magazine, all of a sudden he needs bodyguards? Come on, give me a break. Anyways, let me get back to this. Chapter 5. Let me read a few pages out of chapter 5. Changed in an instant. In the last chapter, we began to examine the life of Saul, Israel's first king. Saul appeared to be everything a king should be. But he still was lacking in some areas. As a matter of fact, Saul's servant seemed to be a better candidate for a king than Saul when compared together. However, God gave Israel just what they wanted in a king. Saul looked like an excellent candidate for the position of king, but as we have seen, he was not ready to lead a nation. God's answer to Saul's shortcomings in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 20 through 24, we read. But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them, for they have been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on all your father's house? And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest tribe of Israel and my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? Now Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and had them sit in the place of honor among those who were invited there were about 30 persons and samuel said to the cook bring the portion which i gave you of which i said to you set it apart so the cook took up the thigh with its upper portion and set it before saul and samuel said here it is what was kept back it was set apart for you. Eat, for until this time it has been kept for you, since I said I invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. From being the least to a place of honor. After their initial introduction, Samuel invites Saul to a banquet. And the first thing that Samuel says to Saul afterward is, As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them, for they have been found. And On whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and all your father's house? Samuel puts the heart of Saul at ease regarding his father's donkeys, then opens the door that leads to his being anointed as king and commander of Israel. After the initial greeting and prophetic encounter, this is Saul's reaction to Samuel and his declaration. Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel and my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? Samuel declares the importance of Saul and his family only to have Saul state the opposite. It would be wise for us to ask some questions regarding Saul's response to Samuel's address. Is this humility or a low self-image? Is this true humility or is it false humility? Is this a strength or a weakness? A casual reading of this passage may lead us to think that Saul was merely caught off guard and being humble. This is where many fail in their understanding of such things. Let's take a deeper look at Saul and his response. Saul's self-image. While many will look at this and say that Saul was meek and humble, a deeper look reveals that he had a self-image problem. This is pride cloaked in false humility that shows a heart that is unsure of itself. Saul was not as humble as it seems in this story, and he had a difficult time receiving from the Lord through Samuel. This insecurity was a problem that manifested through Saul's reign as king. Most all of the Saul's challenges and weaknesses can be traced to the insecurity and low self-image that he struggled with. I know a church leader that God... Has called to be the apostolic father of his city and region, but because of his insecurities, he has not been able to do much more than pastor a local church. Even though he is called and anointed to do much more than he is presently doing, he has not been able to affect the region as he is supposed to, out of fear of working with those outside of his church. It is unfortunate but the only time he attends conferences and special meetings in his area are to look and see who from his church is at that meeting. He will literally reprimand the people of his church for attending these meetings as he rips into the church and ministry that hosts the event. This type of insecurity, manipulation, and control were present in the life and reign of Saul when he was king. It is grievous to think that an entire region is suffering because of the insecurity of one that is supposed to be leading it spiritually. Think of all the people that are not receiving what they should be receiving because of the one that will not take the reins of his gift and calling. God has an answer to Saul's problem of low self-image and disbelief. Samuel invited Saul to a vital feast among the important people. Saul was given the best seat in the house, the seat of honor, and was given the best portion of food. It is as if God was trying to change the image Saul had of himself and his family. In one moment, a blink of the eye, Saul was the most important person in the nation. Before meeting with Samuel and hearing the prophetic statement from the premier prophet of the land, Saul could get away with his self-image problem, but now he had to rise above his insecurities and the uncertainties they brought. Saul was about to be anointed king of Israel, but his mentality needed to catch up to his new reality. As I write this, I am struck by the fact that some reading this book have been struggling in this same area. God has called you to do extraordinarily things, but you are having a difficult time seeing yourself in the position that God has created you for. It is time to overcome this weakness and be what God has called you to be. You have been waiting for the right thoughts and feelings, but they will not come until you start doing what you are supposed to do. In other words, simply be what God has called you to be by doing what He is that calling requires. By doing this, the feelings and thoughts will catch up as you recognize the anointing and power of God at work through you. I want to apologize for tripping over some of those words. It's not that I'm dyslexic. It's just when I read this, it triggers other thoughts and other ideas. And my brain wants to go on a bunny trail, but my mouth is trying to stay true to what I'm reading. So I apologize about that, but it's just the way I'm wired. So um, I've just learned to deal with it. So anyways, at this point, look at this. There's so many Sauls in the church world today. Saul started out, he had everything. He had all everything that God would want, everything that the people would want to become a great king. Yes, he had some issues he had to work through, but that's why God sent Samuel, and that's why he set this meeting, and that's why he put Samuel at the, at the head of this feast, the most important, the seat of honor, and he was trying to change his mentality, uh, Saul's mentality about himself. Samuel saw the greatness in Saul. God certainly saw the greatness in Saul. Saul didn't see the greatness in Saul. Now, I'm not talking about you and I are supposed to be this way in a way of arrogance, but in a way of true confidence. You should be fully aware of your strengths. You should be fully aware of your weaknesses. You should be building upon your strengths, but also trying to heal and fix and change your weaknesses. And in this case, what we see is Saul had a terrible self-image. The premier prophet comes up to him and basically says this, Dude, listen. Everybody's eyes is on you. Everybody's heart is towards you. You have been. You are the one that they have been waiting for, and God has answered their prayers. And here he goes. Who am I? Who is my family? Well, we we learned from the previous chapter where Saul was introduced that he comes from. Uh, his father's name was Kish, and he was a powerful man. That means not only was he wealthy, because in that day and age, wealth brought power, so he was wealthy, but he was also very well-known and influential in his community and probably that entire nation. Somewhere, Saul kind of fell through the cracks. He didn't get that same confidence that his dad had. Maybe there were some problems in the home. It doesn't really say, but irrelevant. He didn't get it. He still struggled. He was a donkey chaser, all right? And if it wasn't for the sake of his servant, the person that worked for him, none of this would have been a reality. And now here he is with the premier prophet that he didn't even know of. His servant knew of him, but Saul, the son of a very influential, wealthy, powerful man, didn't even know of the premier prophet of the land. And that's a huge problem. He didn't even know what was going on in the world around him. But now he's standing before the premier prophet, and the premier prophet basically says, You are God's chosen. The people wanted you. You are the best. You are God's chosen. What do you think of that, Saul? I am the least of the least of the least of the least, and my family is the least. And who are we? We're nothing. Again, in our modern world, a lot of Christians would read that and go, Oh, he was just so humble. No, that wasn't humility, that was weakness. That was weakness. Because he couldn't even understand or see in himself what God saw and the, and the prophet was declaring. I'm not talking about an arrogance, but just that, that, that assurance that, yes, I have some abilities. And, and again, it comes back to if, listen, if you can't be confident in your strengths, then in your world and in your life, everything will be a weakness to you. And if everything's a weakness in your own mind, you know, for yourself, in your own life, then you won't know where to start to work or fix. You might be working on a strength, thinking it's an actual weakness, wasting your time and diminishing that strength into a weakness. But when you're confident and you know, okay, I have these five strengths and I'm a, I'm a good leader in these five areas, but I have these five weaknesses. And if you can clarify that and you can see clearly, you don't have a low self-image where every good thing suddenly is a low thing, but you have a healthy self-image, an honest self-image where, yes, I got these five strengths. I got these five weaknesses. I'm going to work on these five weaknesses, turning them into strengths. Yet at the same time, I'm going to continue working on these strengths and making them even stronger. That type of confidence is needed from true leaders. Not a perfection where we have absolutely no weaknesses, but insight and understanding and honesty and truth about our weaknesses, but also about our strengths. Now, again, the saving grace, if you will, in this whole story, was Saul at least chose the right person to go with him, this servant. And this servant was a a, a man that had strengths in the area of Saul's weakness. And that was a good point for uh, Saul at that moment. And we do see that later on, even though it does try to, it gets him in trouble because he started getting um, insecure where he brought David on later. And we're going to see this later in the book, but he brings David on to help him in certain areas. But the people start praising David more than him. So he gets very insecure and seeks to kill David. So even that has its limit. Again, another weakness showing through, his insecurity in himself. Because let's face it, he was king. And as we read about Saul, he is the king. He's the one on the throne. He's the one that's in charge. So when he becomes insecure about somebody who has a lesser position, he's still not secure in his position. I want to teach you guys a principle right now. It's a simple principle. I want to teach you a principle. And every good and I say good. Every good and wise business owner knows this principle. Every church leader should know and follow this principle. But you should know and follow this principle. And it started out with Saul, but he it fell through the cracks somewhere in his life. And that is, I'll use business real quick. If you own a business, you're a business person. Hire people that are smarter than you and have better abilities than you. If you like say make, I don't know, bicycle tires, that's your business, you make bicycle tires. You go hire somebody that can make bicycle tires better than you, they will make you a lot of money. And now you have to sell those bicycle tires after they're being built. You go find somebody that has better sales ability than you do because they'll make you a lot of money. And surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. It doesn't diminish who you are because you at least had the brilliance to put those right people around you and form that group. You become the hub to their expertise and you all will make a lot of money. Now, let's put that in the church world. You know that there's actually few. I'm not saying none, but few. Church leaders that not only understand that principle, but follow that principle because of their insecurities. You know, they find people that basically need them. In other words, they're stronger than the people they hire. And they assume that's a good thing, and it's not a good thing. Always go out and find somebody in, in a in a church world. Find somebody that's more spiritual than you. Find somebody that's smarter than you. Find somebody that has better abilities than you in leadership, quality, and capacity. I'll give an example because I know this. Whenever I say things like this, well, what have you done? Let me explain to you, Lucy's in my, my home church, uh, I'm, I'm an apostle. God has called me an apostle. And because of that, there are certain strengths that I have. Woohoo! And I'm confident in those strengths, but there's also certain weaknesses. Uh, weaknesses in the sense of when you're talking about pastoring a church. I am not a very good pastor in that regard. What I mean by that is um, the way I'm wired, I don't if somebody comes up to me broken hearted and they just want to talk and pour out their heart and maybe cry a little, I'm not going to lie to you. It it, it bothers me. And because the way I'm wired, not because they really need somebody, but because it bothers me the way I'm wired. I want to go fight. So if I hear somebody comes up you know, to me and I'll give you an example, you know, this really broke my heart. This person said X, Y, Z to me because of my nature. I'm like, let's go get that guy and, you know, get him. And because I'm a, I want to make things right in the moment. I want to, let, let's set this right. And you guys have heard that through these podcasts. You know, if I see something wrong, let's make it right. But where a true pastor, a true shepherd will hold that person, give them a... a um, shoulder to cry on, an ear to listen to, they'll always have the handkerchief or the Kleenexes, and they will take time. And if it's if it takes an hour, they'll take an hour, that person. If it takes Several days of just walking it through with them, calling them, texting them, and doing all that, they'll do that. And I'm not opposed to that. That's great, and that's fine, and that's absolutely needed in the body of Christ and everywhere. People need that. People need to know that there's somebody out there that loves me and cares for me and will sit down with me and talk to me. And even if I cry, let me cry. Even if I'm wrong, let me be wrong for those moments until I get my head and my heart together for correction. But you see, the apostle I me mean, just no, let's fix it now. No, let's fix it now. No, let's fix it now. I have the two by four ministry. You know, that means that when when I minister, you just got hit by a two by four. Other people have the pillow ministry. When they minister, it's like you're leaning on a comfortable pillow and being loved on. Both are absolutely needed in the body of Christ. Absolutely needed. So back to what i've done so i knew that would be in the sense of pastoring a huge weakness for me so we have pastor abraham and pastor adriana at the church that are very much pastors true pastors they love to talk they'll listen they take the time they don't get burnt out the way i would they don't get angry the way i would they don't want to go you know drag somebody out and, and beat them up or something like i would they they just love on people and they bring great healing to people in that manner and in that way. So uh, I'm kind of like Saul in the beginning and they're kind of like, I don't want to use that word servant, but just because of the story, they're like the servant that had all the brains in that area and all the compassion, and all the heart and the foresight. I'm just tromping around looking for donkeys and they're loving on people. So it's very real and you can do that and pastors that are insecure and they don't want to bring strong people real close to them because those people might be oh the people might like them better oh the people might love them better oh the people might come to them just like Saul was so bent out of shape when the ladies started praising David and his accomplishment his accomplishments more than Saul's accomplishments and I always tell people because I have somebody aren't you afraid of that and I'm like, no, as a matter of fact, I look forward to it because, listen, and I mean this, I'm not quick to just like want to run off, but if, if the people were so absolutely drawn to Pastor Abraham and Adriana at my church that I felt like they no longer needed me, to me, that would be a great day. Let me tell you why. I would turn the whole work over to Pastor Abraham and Adriana because I know they would do a much better job. They're already doing a better job than I am. And I would take that apostolic pioneering spirit and go start a church somewhere else. Not out of like, I don't like you guys. I'm just taking my toys and going home. No, but hey, praise God. Now the kingdom is expanding. Uh, and I'll always have a home here, but you guys take care of it. You pastor it. You're already doing a better job. Now let me go do my job and pioneer and, and, and find and make another church or establish another church somewhere else. And then we have a sister church. And now those two churches can work together. See, whenever I travel in the world, uh, a lot of people go, I'm just going to go evangelize. I don't think of evangelizing necessarily. Yes, I want people saved. But my heart, because I'm an apostle, is to go in there, find the leaders in that city or in that region or in that place, strengthen them, build them up, impart to them so they're stronger in their gifting and callings. Because you see, if I go in for even for two weeks, I go home. But if I can go and use those two weeks, instead of trying to get a few people saved, I can build up the leadership that's already there, impart to them, empower them, then the uh, they will be there for the next 10 years and they'll get a lot more people saved than I ever could in just those two weeks. So I build them up so that they can build up the region and do the work better. So pastors, I'm speaking to you because it's time for you not just to be aware of your weaknesses, but to deal with your weaknesses. And if you read, well, not just my chapter, but that whole story about Saul, you find out that through Samuel, God provided, not just in that one meeting that we read about, but God provided a, a way for Saul to get over his weaknesses and become a strong king. He prophesied to them to the point that, that not only did everything that Samuel prophesied to Saul that day, did it come to pass, but it literally gave him a new heart as he was filled with Holy Spirit. So he had a new heart, a new mind filled with Holy Spirit. And he even began to prophesy with the prophets. And it became a byword in Israel. Is Saul among the prophets? Well, in a very real way, he was. Why? Because he received Holy Spirit. He had a new heart. He had a new mind because God was preparing him to be king. And I'm telling you this because if you are, if you are willing to, to face your weaknesses if you are willing to not to you know face them and look at them and admit to them and cry out to god i need help with this i'm telling you holy spirit will come the prophets will come the prophetic word of the lord will come a new heart will come a new mind will come a new way of doing things will come if you're honest and you embrace it and walk it out not only that But you'll find, just like Samuel had this servant, the right people will come around you to help you in your work and in your endeavors. But it's time to get over the insecurities, pastors. It's time to get over the insecurities, church leaders. It's time to get over them. If if you find it hard and difficult to bring sharp people around you, well, then do it even though it's hard and difficult. Do it even though you feel insecure. Do it even though you're afraid that they might pull the people away from you. Do it anyways. It's the right thing to do. The right thing to do isn't always the easy thing to do, but it's always the right thing to do. So let's get back to that principle. Surround yourself with people smarter than you. Surround yourself with people that have more than you in the given area that you are working in. Church leaders surround yourself with people that are not only smarter with you, know the word of God better than you, are more anointed, pray more than you. Because uh, several things happen. One, the people of your church are better fed because you bring good people to the table. But number two, it helps push you to become more like them. If in the in the beginning it fills the gaps and strengthens the weaknesses you might have, but as time goes on, your weaknesses become strong because their presence prompts you to become and do what they have and become what they are. It's a win-win for everybody. It's a win-win, and let's face it, and if you look out there and you notice, oh, the people are being gravitated to pastor so-and-so or associate so-and-so, then you know what, maybe just humble yourself, be honest and say, I'm turning the church because they're doing such a a great job. I'm turning the whole church over to them and I'm going to go out and pioneer another church. And you do that before there's anger and frustration and a falling out. You do that while you still are friends so that you have now a sister church that you can work closely with we're supposed to be expanding this is the way it's supposed to work our children are even our spiritual children are supposed to rise up and do more than we do not just in the natural in the natural home but especially in the church world so let's get over ourselves and start expanding ourselves by expanding the kingdom, bringing good people on board that can run the whole thing that you hope. And this is my hope that you would hope that somebody would come in, capture the heart and attention of the people do a better job so you can turn it over to them. So you can go out and apostolically uh, establish another church, pioneer a new church and work and expand the kingdom. And you have a sister church that'll back you up the whole time. So, we got to get over ourselves. Saul needed to get over himself. We need to get over ourselves. And we need to really start doing the work that God has called us to do. And where we have weaknesses, face them honestly, get over them, and continue pressing on. That's my word for today. God bless you all. Thank you for joining us here at Table Flippers. I would love to hear from you. You can find my contact information at www gwcclancaster.org that's gwcclancaster.org please let us know how we are doing I look forward to hearing your thoughts and comments have a fantastic day